Good morning. Our call to worship uh, comes from the Westminster Confession of Faith as a reminder of our uh, connection uh, with the uh, church of uh, centuries gone by, uh, as well as the reminder that uh, the theology of the church uh, is uh, timeless, remains the same throughout the centuries. Westminster Confession of Faith, they who were once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. By his word and spirit dwelling in them, the dominion of the whole body of sin destroyed and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Corporate confession is central to worship because it strikes a blow at self-righteousness. It humbles us before God as we say what we know to be true of ourselves and what we know to be true of our gracious God. What's true of us? We are sinners, undone, unworthy, and unable to come and be near to God who has created us. What is true of God? He is faithful to His covenant promise in Christ's blood. He will not treat us as our sins truly deserve, but in Christ we find mercy and forgiveness and love. So please join me in a prayer of confession. Our great God of love, it is your will that we should love you with heart, soul, mind, strength, and our neighbor as ourselves, but we are not sufficient for these things. We confess that our affections continually turn away from you, from purity to lust, from freedom to slavery, from compassion to indifference, from fullness to emptiness. Have mercy upon us, O God. Order our lives by your holy word. and Make your commandments the joy of our hearts. Conform us to the image of your loving Son, Jesus, that we may shine before the world to your glory. Amen. We are forgiven in Christ. The reading of the scriptures from Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 13. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip 
and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please join me for a time of prayer. Uh, oh, Father, we bow our heads to you. Uh, we worship you. For out of your loving kindness, you gave your only begotten Son, that by believing in him, we might have eternal life. And we worship you, Jesus Christ, Son of God. For though you were in the form of God, you emptied yourself, taking the form of a servant and giving your life, numbered with the transgressors, sinless, yet bearing the sin of many, dying but rising again, with those marks of the cross, showing that loving your own in the world, you love them indeed to the end. We worship you, the Lord our Savior, our Redeemer, the Mighty One of Israel. And we rejoice with thanksgiving for the gift of the Holy Spirit and the new birth by which we may behold the beauty of the Son, hear His voice, and follow Him. We are thankful for the peace we have with God through Christ and the access we have by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we are thankful that you have kept and will keep us uh, through these trying days of widespread illness, economic upheaval, and opposition to the church and the things of God. And we are thankful for the gift of prayer through which we can make our requests to you, knowing that you care for us. And so we pray for your blessings upon us, our worship, our service to you and to our neighbor. We pray for our daily bread and supplying of all of our needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. While we may be still called by civil leaders to limit outside activities, perhaps to cease from our employments, may we wait upon you to bring relief. May we redeem the time that we have by rejoicing in the midst of adversity. And may these days produce in us patient endurance, proven character, and hope. May our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. May we stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side, not frightened by anything. And may we be mindful to look to the needs and the interests of others. We continue to pray that you would bring uh, this pandemic to an end, especially in places like the Congo, where physical resources are so scarce for your people. Give them special measures of faith and that hope of the glory of God. Uh, now, Father, bless your word to us. May it go out in power that we may be equipped for every good work. Amen. Thy will be done, Lord, hear our prayers. Luke has been teaching us about the advance of the Word of God. Uh, it's now gone beyond Jerusalem. Uh, we're in Judea and Samaria, uh, looking at uh, the ministry uh, in Samaria. Uh, and as is always the case, there's a clash between uh, two worlds. A clash between the Word of God and the Word of the world. There's a clash between uh, the great Holy Spirit 
and uh, the evil spirits uh, that are uh, in the world. And there's always that clash. Uh, we'll look at several of those clashes uh, in the scriptures this morning. But in every clash, uh, there are winners and losers, as is the case in a magician that we will look at uh, this morning. Of course, uh, respecting winners and losers, uh, the word and spirit are final arbiters, uh, but the word and spirit also give us discernment and charity, uh, determine to which side uh, the magician belongs. Is he a winner or he is he a loser? Uh, this uh, saga will uh, continue, uh, the Lord willing, uh, in our next lesson, but it's introduced to us here uh, as a reminder uh, of uh, the grace of God uh, in rescuing us from uh, the world. Uh, so that the advance uh, of the word in Samaria uh, exposes us to another internal threat to the church and there are always internal threats to the church. We see it this morning in Simon the Magician. So it's a good reminder that the advance of the Word and the Spirit must be occasioned uh, by discernment, uh, as well as charity, uh, but certainly discernment, because uh, we ponder on uh, which side the magician breaks. Uh, the breakout from Jerusalem is remarkable, uh, and discernment engages the reality that not every profession of faith is genuine. It's a startling reminder, winners and losers. And sometimes there are professions of faith, and sometimes uh, they are not genuine professions of faith. A couple of uh, illustrations to this end from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, verses 20 and 21. Jesus says, so then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, on another occasion, uh, Matthew 13, uh, verses 20 and 21, the great parable of the sower. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, uh, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, because of the word, immediately he falls away. Uh, and this is a clash uh, of uh, the worlds uh, that really beckons us uh, to discernment and charity. Uh, everywhere in the scriptures. Uh, the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, says a tragic event, Demas, having loved the present world, has deserted me. Paul had a companion, Demas, but something happens. He deserts the Apostle Paul. Subsequent verses, uh, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Great reminder that uh, in this clash, uh, winners and losers uh, are swept to either one camp or the other. I remember the uh, struggle of the Reformed Church in America 
uh, had uh, in the First Great Awakening. Uh, evidently, there were quite bizarre outpourings of emotion. And uh, the church uh, was disturbed as to whether they were genuine or not. Great struggle. Who knows? Uh, discernment and charity, of course, are called for. It's interesting that uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, regarding these emotional outbreaks, uh, simply counseled time and charity. Uh, time and charity. Essentially, discernment and charity. I was reminded of this in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, February of uh, this year. Uh, there was a, a great praise for a uh, new model of church growth. Uh, using modern ideas to attract and start churches that cater to specific needs. Again, I mean, who knows? New model. What's a new model? Uh, seemingly in the book of Acts, there's uh, the model of the Word of God advancing. Uh, of course, nothing about... Uh, the content of this new model, and that's really what's determinative. And that's what beckons us to, uh, of course, charity, but also discernment. Because if you vacate content, uh, of which there is remarkable continuity throughout the book of Acts, if you vacate that content, you don't have a church. You have a crowd. You have a gathering. You have some form of fellowship. But you don't have a church. And so... Uh, charity and discernment are always called for. Well, the advance of the uh, word in uh, Samaria clashes with uh, idolatry in Simon the Magician. Uh, contextually, uh, Acts engages something of a polemic against idolatry. Uh, of course, you and I know idolatry as uh, trusting in anything other than uh, God for salvation as well as imputing divinity to anything other than uh, the God of Scripture. Now, Simon, again, was a magician. He customarily, in other words, he repeatedly uh, engaged in practicing magic and astonishing the people, uh, verse 9. Astonishing the people. It's very interesting, this word uh, astonishment. Uh, in the Greek, uh, it's the basis for our word from which we have the English existentialism. It speaks to existence. Uh, we have uh, that word a lot in our culture, do we not? There's so, always some existential threat, a threat to our existence. Uh, decades ago, existentialism was a philosophy tied to an existence separate and outside of God. That's ironic, because that's the real existential threat, to be sure. That meaning and purpose were purely individual and accidental. But that's our culture. Our culture practices an extreme form of existentialism, that we have meaning and purpose absent God. We don't need God. Uh, of course, scriptures tell us otherwise. We desperately need God. In our culture, uh, like uh, Samaria in the days of Simon the magician, uh, they were astonished over everything but God. Yet the irony is, is that God created us and our existence is bound to Him, and as to Him, there is 
no meaning or purpose. But that's a clash of ideas and philosophies. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives us an illustration of this, and we will look at several more in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're reminded of uh, uh, prevailing philosophy of uh, the last days, and we're in the last days. Luke has taught us that uh, specifically uh, in Acts chapter 2. The 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says, in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Notice the contrast that Paul gives uh, his uh, legacy in verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Uh, the word of the world, which is uh, driven by deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, uh, the countervailing uh, doctrine and word in the church, of course, is the word of God. Uh, the majesty of sound doctrine, uh, the words of the faith. But that clash is occurring in Samaria in Simon the magician. Simon also uh, claimed to be someone great. Again, if you look at verse 9. It's not only astonishing the people of Samaria, but claiming to be someone great. So he crosses a line by imputing a measure of divinity into himself, claiming to be someone great. Who is great? It's a great question. The clash of our culture. As a measure of this clash, uh, the great prophet Daniel, chapter 4. Uh, Daniel uh, represents the true faith, and uh, he's in a foreign culture governed by the doctrine of demons and false religion. He has a clash with that religion in uh, Daniel chapter 4. Uh, and he warns the emperor uh, to humble himself before God. Of course, the emperor refuses. Uh, and this is what uh, Daniel tells him. Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babel in the great, which I myself have built? as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. At that point, Nebuchadnezzar crosses a line. Many cross that line. It's a line of uh, demarcation of incredible danger uh, because it puts you in conflict with the countervailing forces of God. Daniel 4, verse 31, While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given to eat grass like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whomever he wishes. And you can see the clash a very powerful worldly ruler uh, who comes up against God. Uh, and by the way, who wins that clash? Well, God does. God always wins. God never loses. Uh, the context, of course, again, is the emperor assumes divinity. 
The punishment is that God turns him temporarily into a cow, probably some form of mental illness. We don't really know. Uh, but the point is that God humbles him. Uh, I think he's turned into a cow, reminding the Israelites in Babylon of the golden calf that they worship in the wilderness. Be very careful about uh, the gods of Babylon uh, because uh, God destroys uh, uh, idols. Well, God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. The lesson is ageless. Uh, people become like the gods that they serve. Psalm 115, verse 8. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. So there's immediate judgment. Uh, the clash uh, seems to be a gathering of divinity to oneself, but uh, God destroys idols. Uh, people who serve idols become like them, the psalmist says. Uh, so that happens to Nebuchadnezzar. The outcome is in Daniel chapter 4, verse 31. I, Nebuchadnezzar, now praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. It is uh, it's not the confession of a, of a monotheist. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is simply confessing that Daniel's God is uh, the chief God. But there are other gods. So again, he's not a monotheist. He's had it come to true faith. Uh, but he certainly has uh, learned from his uh, pride and he's learned a measure of humility and the power of God uh, to defeat idolatry. In our case in uh, Acts chapter 8, uh, the Samaritans from small to great gave uh, Simon their attention. Again, verse 10. Giving him attention. Saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And you can see clearly here the line of demarcation. Uh, the aspect of uh, the verb giving attention is uh, one of a continual action, durative action, not just a couple of uh, events or one-time event, uh, but over and over giving him attention. They were astonished and captured by his magical arts. Uh, the immediate contrast, of course, is to Philip. Uh, let's look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 6. And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip. In Philip's case, it was revelatory of the majesty and the power of the one true God. In Simon's case, it's self-aggrandizement. It's uh, hubris and pride. It's gathering divinity unto himself. And divinity only belongs uh, to the God of Scripture. Uh, the uh, Samaritans, again, attribute Simon's magic to the great power of God. Uh, it's an attribution of... Uh, divine power to man in his magical arts. A remarkable illustration of this in uh, the prophet Ezekiel uh, that uh, is, a, is, a, is a good reminder to us. Uh, prophet Ezekiel uh, chapter 13. Uh, because the children of Israel get attracted to magic too. Sometimes uh, professing Christians get 
ensnared by the world. Perhaps they read the horoscope in the Daily Oklahoma. Not something you should do. So, uh, Revelation's not in the stars, it's in the God of Scripture. It takes discernment and wisdom to turn away from that. But the children of Israel were ensnared. Ezekiel chapter 13 and verse 20. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against your magic bands. So they were wearing good luck charms and amulets, thinking that uh, the good luck charm uh, would, uh, would give them security. There was no such thing as a good luck charm. By the way, there's no such thing as luck in a theistic universe. There's no such thing as chance. Uh, why Christians should be very careful about using terms like luck and chance. Because there is no luck and chance. Uh, but the children of Israel were ensnared. Uh, sometimes I think we see it in our culture today. Uh, occasionally I uh, make the great trip to the great state of Arkansas. And I pass uh, by turnoff to the city of Prague. It's a duplication of the great European city of Prague. Uh, and uh, there in that city, you can uh, go to a shrine, national shrine of the infant Jesus, uh, for miracle and favors. In a doll, really. Uh, think about that. Think about the relics of saints uh, that we find in some churches uh, as uh, a way to access heaven. In the saints, really? Uh, in a relic? No, it's not to be. But Christians are so ensnared. They need to be reminded uh, of this great clash and to use discernment to be sure. There's another clash that uh, is illustrative of this in uh, the book of Exodus. Uh, Exodus chapter 7. Uh, God is about to uh, deliver uh, his, uh, his people from the Babylonian captivity. And uh, he has chosen uh, Moses uh, as the mediator. Uh, and Exodus chapter 7, uh, verses 9 to 13, there's a great clash uh, between the God of Scripture and the gods of Egypt. And who's going to win that clash? By the way, who won the clash between the god of Daniel uh, and the god Marduk in Daniel chapter 4? Well, we know the answer to that. God always wins. God's going to win this clash. Exodus chapter 7. Expression of magic here. Uh, the uh, magicians in Exodus are like Simon the magician. And Moses is going to clash with them. Reading in verse 9, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, work a miracle. In other words, what he's really saying is do some magic. Let me see how powerful your gods are. Uh, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It may become a serpent. Uh, 
So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff before Pharaoh and his servants. He became a serpent. Uh, then Pharaoh called uh, for all his wise men and the sorcerers and uh, the magicians of Egypt. And they did the same with their secret arts. It was great magic. I don't know how the trick was played out, but if you've ever seen a good magician, it's quite remarkable what they could do. Uh, yeah. But nonetheless, who wins uh, this clash? Uh, for each one threw down his staff and they turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. In this clash, uh, not only are the magical arts exposed for what they are as cheap tricks, uh, but Pharaoh, who was an idolater and a god, was, uh, was judged. His heart is hardened as a display uh, of uh, God defeating gods of Egypt, uh, and certainly uh, humbling Pharaoh like he did Nebuchadnezzar, hardens his heart according to his word, uh, fulfilling the word. And what's behind the word but the God of Scripture, the God of the word? So in a similar manner, Simon uh, secured the attention of people of Samaria by astonishing them uh, with his magic. Uh, Again, verse 11, they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magical arts. It's idolatry because he's making a divine claim. It's important for us to know, certainly in the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well, that uh, magic is condemned because of unauthorized access to God. The Old Testament, uh, it was uh, a capital crime but certainly in the New Testament, uh, it's a crime in the church. It evokes discernment and judgment, calling us to turn away from such because uh, the only way to access the God of Scripture is uh, through the means proclaimed in the Word of God, not magical arts. Will the advance of the Word and Spirit break uh, the spell of idolatry over, over the Samaritans? Again, there's a clash, a magician and the preaching of Philip. Let's look at the outcome of that clash. Verse 12, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And so uh, the word and spirit invade Samaria and uh, break uh, the logjam of the uh, magic and astonishment and gather many into the kingdom and they're baptized, uh, men and women alike. They believe the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at this momentarily. First, they believed Philip, or more properly, uh, they believed the content of his preaching. Not believing Philip, but the content of his preaching. Uh, because he is evangelizing about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. And again, the content here is so very, very important. It's not just the preaching, but it's the content. That Christ is King Messiah. He is reigning. The end time kingdom has begun in his reign and rule. It begins spiritually for us when we believe in Christ 
Of course, it will end visibly uh, when he comes again. Uh, the name of Jesus, uh, it's not just the name. It's all that is represented by the character of Christ as God incarnate, whose substance and attributes uh, are the same as God the Father and God the Spirit, whose attributes are uh, able to affect substitutionary atonement for his people, whose subsistence is uh, different from the Father and the Spirit, but whose substance is exactly the same, without any shadow of change whatsoever. It's the content of Philip's preaching. Secondly, uh, they're baptized as a visible expression of their renunciation of past loyalties. Connect that with the context. They used to believe in magic. They were astonished by the magician. They were swept away by his power. But now, uh, they have new loyalties. They belong to a new kingdom. Uh, renunciation of past loyalties. I don't know if you've ever been to a naturalization ceremony. The oath that's uh, given uh, is a renunciation of uh, past loyalties to kings and prime ministers, governments. Uh, because now there's a new government, the United States of America. Here, to the Christian, a new king, King Christ, King Messiah. A new government, the kingdom of God. A loyalty to it, turning away from magic uh, and all of uh, what's behind the magic. It's their initiation to the visible church with a new allegiance, a new identity. spell of idolatry is broken. Uh, the word of God and the spirit of conquered. Always conquer. Uh, spirit never loses. The word never loses. Uh, because it's God's. And uh, he never loses. A great reminder. Uh, here the spell is, uh, is broken. A reminder of the power of Christ in uh, Matthew 12, 29. Jesus enters the house of the strong man, Satan, and binds him so he can plunder it of all who belong to him. It's power over Satan. Uh, Satan has power over us. How could we come to Christ when Satan has power over us? We can only come to Christ when he binds and gathers his people by his power, a transcendent power. Uh, beautifully expressed, if you will, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made public display over them, having triumphed over them through him, by the cross, through Christ. He triumphs over the entire spirit world, plundering the spirit world of all that belongs to him. Uh, the verb, verse 15, he made public display, uh, references the cosmic forces of darkness that energize magicians, Existentialism, evil philosophies, uh, philosophy of the world. Christ exposed them, disarmed them, triumphed over them at the cross. It's a metaphor of the Roman victory parade with all the conquered behind the great victor. 
the decisive victory won by Christ at the cross. Uh, and these forces, of course, seek to carry us off into captivity. They own us, but Christ uh, breaks the dominion. A beautiful uh, expression of this uh, in uh, Colossians uh, chapter 2 and verse 8. Uh, one way that we're reminded in discernment and charity, be careful of the world. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. This great clash of ideas, clash of philosophies, clash of kingdoms. We belong to a new kingdom, a greater kingdom greater allegiance, a greater loyalty. Some Samaritans have now entered that kingdom uh, by the power of Christ. Uh, they're now enslaved uh, to the great Savior. Uh, the enslavement of demonic forces has been broken uh, so that they no longer exercise a dominion to deceive. Christ defeats them. Beautiful expression of this in Revelation 20. Satan is bound for a thousand years, so it can no longer deceive the nations. Purpose clause is very defining. Deception. Of course, it's not a literal event. You don't bind a spirit. It's reminding us he's bound to prevent uh, Satan from deceiving the elect so that they can come to Christ. If uh, Christ didn't bind Satan, none of us would have come. It's a great clash. Uh, Christ defeats Satan and binds him so that he can no longer deceive. The uh, Samaritans were once deceived. Now they are no longer. Uh, they believe the preaching and the content. They're baptized, men and women alike. Beautiful expression of this clash. And there's always winners and losers. Uh, those who believe are the winners. In our context, uh, Christ defeats the spell of Simon's idolatry and he claims many unto himself. Illustration of the power of Christ. Uh, beautiful expression of this in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, 19 to 22. What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and majesty and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. He put all things in subjection to his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Implicit gospel. There is only one that can conquer uh, if you're not a Christian, if you've not believed in Christ and all these done upon the cross, Satan owns you, lock, stock, and barrel. Reminder that there's only one that is so conquered, and that is the King Messiah, Christ, whose name is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. In every age, even in our age, and all of the false philosophies and deceptions of the world, wherever they might be, in the academy, in government, in our culture, Christ is always winning his people as he has here 
in Samaria. Uh, but there are winners and losers even in Samaria. It's very interesting, uh, verse 13, that uh, Simon joins the advance. Acts chapter 8 and verse 13. Even Simon himself believed after being baptized, he continued on with Philip as he observed signs and great miracles taking place. He was constantly amazed. I mean, at first blush, this seems to be a great thing. It beckons again the issue of discernment and charity, to be sure. Uh, we don't necessarily learn of the outcome here, but we will. Uh, in a measure. Uh, the text uh, reads, he believed, was baptized, continued with Philip. Uh, I'm struck by that uh, for something of a very implicit hint. He continued with Philip. Seemed like he was attracted to Philip. Uh, attracted by what Philip was, uh, was able to do. Uh, of course, the verb continued with is used repeatedly in the book of Acts, the true church. But they continued in the apostles' teaching. They continued in prayer. But at first blush, we don't really know what's going on here. Uh, has Simon truly uh, been conquered for Christ? It's going to play out in subsequent paragraphs. Uh, and perhaps even in history. Uh, because uh, secular uh, history speaks of Simon, a magician, who continued to practice his arts. A greater key, perhaps, is the parallel to uh, the fact he was continually amazed by the signs and great miracles that Philip was able to do. In my own mind, it plants a seed of doubt. Sometimes we must be discerning. We must always be charitable. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a great clash of, of uh, great kingdoms and power. There's winners and losers. Where does Simon break out? It's a question that leaves us in tension. Uh, makes me wonder if his belief in baptism are related to what he perceives as perhaps a greater magic of Philip. The question uh, begs the issue of discernment for subsequent revelation, I believe, will expose Simon to be a fake. He's only attracted by uh, what he sees. Uh, his belief is uh, only uh, an attachment to Philip the man. Uh, of course, you and I know that in all of these clashes, uh, the Word and the Spirit uh, will always win, will always prevail in time uh, and eternity. We also know that they're the final arbiters. Yeah, but we also know that the Word and the Spirit in time beckon us to be charitable as well as discerning. And that's radically true with respect to Simon the Magician. Uh, does he remain Simon the Magician? Uh, does he radically forsake his, uh, his allegiance to his magical arts and the demons behind them all? Uh, it's the tension of our text. Uh, but the positive is, uh, as we've stressed, that uh, many Samaritans are one. 
They're one by Christ, and they're also one for Christ. And they forsake uh, their former loyalties, and they come uh, to uh, express a new loyalty that their old way of life uh, has been conquered. And they have a new way of life, and a new allegiance, a new loyalty. Uh, and in this great clash of ideas and philosophies, uh, kingdoms in conflict, uh, they belong to the winning side. Uh, I, I trust you belong to that side, that you have uh, believed in Christ your Savior. You've believed and apprehend by faith what he's done uh, for you in his atoning work upon the cross. Uh, and uh, you hope in him and him alone. Uh, again, we will pursue this matter, the Lord willing, uh, in uh, subsequent uh, lessons. Uh, but let us remember, at the center of the clash is uh, the Lord Messiah, uh, King, Christ who always wins, and all things have been put in subjection to his feet. Uh, even uh, the forces of uh, the demonic spirits, uh, magic, uh, and all of the prevailing philosophies of the world uh, which vacate God as the one true God, uh, and which uh, look to the movement of the stars or uh, hope eternally in the things of this world. Uh, we belong to a different world. Christ is our Savior. We affirm our loyalty to him. I'd like to uh, conclude this morning by a great doxology of uh, by the book of Hebrews as a reminder of uh, him uh, who has redeemed us and who has called us unto himself, who makes us new, who equips us to do every good work. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 13. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.